Good morning. Grace and peace to you. Our song leaders are amazing. I know today's uh, lesson didn't have a whole lot of songs uh, uh, to go with it, but Jimmy, thank you for the songs, and always thank Dawn as well. They stir us up. It should stir us up to praise God and to teach and admonish one another when we sing. just want to share something with you. Uh, Mike prayed about Slava and the church in Nepper. Uh, continue to pray for them. He was having internet problem, and he finally had to change his provider. Anybody ever have to do that? Anyway, uh, so he's back online. But uh, you then reported that they had have had to start another class in their English school because they're having more people come and want to do that. So uh, pray for them. Pray for Marina as she teaches that class mostly. And uh, pray for the fruit to come. What a wonderful opportunity to use the teaching of English. People want to learn English in order to teach the scripture and then hopefully lead to salvation of some. So there's just all kind of ways to get the gospel out there, the word out there, and they're using one of them this way, and that's just a wonderful thing, and just pray uh, for the blessing there for the Great River English School. All right. John 3.16, it's not on your list, is it? You can probably quote it. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And I'm not going to quote the rest of it. I'm just talking about that God loves all people. And the cross of Christ clearly demonstrates that. In the words of scripture, he wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. His love is toward every person that he's made and created. His own people are very dear to him. Israel, God chose Abraham to begin a, a nation of people that would bring through, through, through them, he would bring the Messiah, the one who would ultimately save everyone and bring us salvation. But Israel is very dear to him, and you can read that in the Old Testament, all through it much he loved his people and he wanted the best for them and that's one of the reasons he was so upset with them and chastised them and sent so many prophets because they weren't doing the right thing and he loved them and he wanted them to do the right thing and of course today the body of Christ his people and how he especially loves and values the church those who belong to his son but our lesson today has to do with how God especially delights in certain ones of his people. We're not talking about him playing favorites or anything like that. But their conduct in life, their service, and their devotion to God have particularly touched his heart. And he has taken particular notice with them. 
And I even wrote down here, maybe he's even thrilled with them a little bit. In Isaiah 42, notice what the prophet says here about the servant, the anointed one, who we know is going to be Jesus to come. Behold, my servant whom I uphold. You know, behold means look at that, look at him, look at him. I have my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I delight in this, my servant. I put my spirit upon him. What a blessing. What a gift. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. Here is the servant of God who would do exactly what God wanted him to do. Bring forth justice on the earth. Overcome the devil and wickedness and sin and do what's right. And he would do it in the right way. Not pointing, bringing attention to himself, crying out in the streets and so forth. The bruised reed there and the smoking flax or dimly burning wick refer to people who are struggling and are about to quit and give up. And he says he will understand who they are. And he will not, he will deal with them appropriately. You know, sometimes you have a person struggling with their faith and they're ready to quit. And you go in them and go in and talk with them and you can say, well, you, you know, what are you doing? Come on, get up and let's get this thing going again and, you know, what's wrong with you? And that'll cut them right off and cause them to just quit. You have to learn how to deal with people who are really struggling and the servant would do that. Somebody really struggling? Okay. I know how to talk with them, to encourage them, to fan that little flicker of flame and get it going again. I don't need to blow on that real hard because it'll go out. Anyway, so the Lord delights in him because he's going to do his will. We're going to look at some folks in the lesson that God in particular pointed out. Look at him. Look at them. He was especially pleased with them. And of course, this tells us something about God, right? That he does take notice of what we do. And those who do certain things have great devotion. He really notices that. He appreciates it, okay? And of course, lesson will be for us as we look at these people how do I stack up against them? Is God particularly taking notice of me in my service, in my walk? That's not mean we're not going to be saved or anything like that, but, you know, what is God noticing my, the way I'm serving him? 
Would he hold me up as an example to somebody else? That's kind of what God's doing here. The first one, Job. Let's consider Job for a minute. Job 1.6. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it, and, you know, just generally looking to make trouble. That's what he does. All right. Find out where I can cause a, cause a difficulty. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth. A blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. I don't know about you, but every time I read this, start to read through the book of Job, my heart starts to hurt. Because I know what's coming. He's going to lose everything. Here is a godly man. In fact, we would almost have to say he couldn't do any better, could he? And he's not saying he's without sin. And we're going to talk about these things here in a minute. But he's a godly man. But he's about to be severely tested by Satan. Well, that's not our focus in this lesson. You know, we could go on and talk about that. But again, God especially noticed Job in all the earth. There's no one like him. Have you seen him, Satan? Of course, you remember the story. Satan said, yeah, yeah, but you're protecting him. And, but anyway, but the four things here that God had noticed about Job, he's blameless. Again, that doesn't mean without sin. But it means he has no serious recurring flaw. He has a clear conscience in the laws of God. All right? He was not under the law of Moses. He was not a Jew. It's interesting. So he understood the common laws of God, such as you don't murder, you don't steal, and so forth, those kinds of things. You do good to other people. Things we read about there in Romans, about the Gentiles have a law unto themselves. He would have understood these things. So he's blameless in regard to all that. He's upright. That means he's a righteous man. He's a good husband, he's a good father, he's a good neighbor, he's honest, he's a man of integrity. You can read, uh, as you read through Job, he defends himself by saying some of these things. He says, you know, I, I helped out the poor and so forth and so on. I think he even mentions I helped out widows. You know, people knew me for doing good things. He was an upright man. You needed help, you go see Job. He was there, he was ready. He's fearing God. Man of reverence and honor and worship. 
And he would give God the glory and give God, God the credit. He wouldn't take it the credit for himself. He talked about God. He feared God. He understood that God had given him life. Read, read the book. He gave me life. He even says, I wish on that day I hadn't lived. Remember that? That they had not said a male child was born. He was in so much pain. And then it says he was turning away from evil according to what he knew evil was. He made a conscious effort not to do wrong. I think that's a, a great trait. I think so many people today just kind of let that one slide. There's no real conscious effort. We just kind of go about our business and Oh, if it happened, if it happened, if I do that, oh, well, no big deal. Job turned away from evil. He understood evil. He turned away from it. He didn't want to be caught up in anything that was wicked. So God acknowledged Job. And also understand this. And this is a great example for for every one of us, as we live day to day, Job was not a preacher. Job was not an elder. He had no special place in a church, in a synagogue. All this is just about the way he lived his life from day to day. And God took notice. So any one of us, you know, we, we just live our life from day to day, don't we? We have opportunities, we have family, we do business, we have recreation. How does God see all that in you? So God puts forward Job. There's none like him in all the earth. God took notice. Then let's think about Moses for a minute. Let's go back to Numbers. This is a situation, I'm going to read all those verses there where, you know, Moses, his uh, leadership was challenged. He was challenged by some. Uh, Korah and the rebellion was one. And now even his own siblings challenged Moses. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And then look at that next line. And the Lord heard it. Ooh. <laughs> you think anything you say or think the Lord doesn't know or hear? Now the man Moses was very humble more than any man who was on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam, look at this, you three come out to the tent of meeting. I don't think I want to go. <laughs> if I'm Aaron, I don't want to go. You know, I already, you know, 
my mouth has already messed me up. I, wait a minute. But you know, when God says go, you go. So the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in the cloud, and he's there. He called Aaron and Miriam. He says, hear my words. There's a prophet among you. I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision and speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. Uh-uh. He's faithful in all my household. And then when he's done talking to them, the anger of the Lord burned, they departed, and when the cloud withdrawn, then Miriam's got leprosy. You don't want to rile up God. I thought I could use some salty language here, some coal mineries. But I won't, because of all the sisters and ladies here. You don't want to rile up God, you know? I'm talking about his leadership. Those whom he has chosen. Because when you pick on those whom he's chosen, you're picking on God, aren't you? You're saying, God, what are you doing picking Moses to lead us? That's what really this is about. Why does God defend Moses? He, he defend, you know, God is, you think about, again, what this tells us about God. God just doesn't wax them off, you know, whack. See you later. He defends himself before his accusers. God even humbles himself here to say, okay, all right. I'll talk with you. I'll tell you why. The first that we saw there, he's more humble, more than any man on the face of the earth. On the earth. He's a humble man. You know, being humble is not easy. Our pride always gets in the way, doesn't it? We think we know better, we have more knowledge, we have more information, we're wiser, we can do it better, on and on. And that just always keeps popping up, doesn't it? And for me, maybe not for you, but for me, humility is one of the most difficult words to, de to define. What is humility? If we say, well, not being proud, I don't think that quite gets it. And I kind of came up with this one, but I, for me, I don't know what it is for you, how you would define humility. But for me, humility is acknowledging that anything I have any talent, any gift, anything I've ever done is because of God. Not me. Now, that's kind of where I'm at in trying to define that. And then I even thought, you know, when, when God called Moses there at the burning bush and said, come lead my people, and Moses starts making excuses, and sometimes we, we, you know, we jump on Moses for making excuses, but maybe, just maybe, as we read that over again, might we see some humility in Moses there? And saying, no, wait, you know, I just really am not the guy for this. Perhaps.
And then the second thing is, as he says there to Aaron and Miriam, he's faithful in all my household. Pertaining to the children of Israel, of course, and starting back there when he went into Pharaoh. Some, some people like to say he, he and Aaron went in there just with a stick, you know. He says, let my people go. We, we can't imagine putting ourselves in that, in that palace with all the his staff around there, or whatever he's got around there on that throne and all that gold and so forth. And here's the Pharaoh. And here's this guy in a cloak, all dusty and smelling like sheep. And he walks in there and says, Lord God says, let my people go. And no wonder Pharaoh goes, who are you? You know, ha ha. No wonder. But God did it, right? Through Moses. But that took courage. He's faithful in all my household. And then, of course, the whole story of where they're at right now, trying to lead them through the wilderness, right? And putting up with all their murmurings and complainings and, you know, the rebellions and we don't like this and that. And Moses is like, you know, sighing and defending the people before God, defending God more than that, so that his name remains great. Anyway, you know the story. But he followed God's word without deviation. The Lord could count on Moses to do what he asked him to do. How many people do you know like that? You can absolutely count on them 100% to do whatever you ask them to do. Believe me, those people are hard to find, aren't they? Moses was that man for God. He'll do. I ask him, he'll do it. And so there's a lesson for us. Are we humble? Do we acknowledge that God is the one who gives us everything? And will we do what God says to do? No matter what. Would God point to me and say, Jeff is faithful in all that I've entrusted him with. Well, just think about it. Put your name in there. Put your name in there. The next group, we're going to look at a group in Jeremiah 35. Some of you have heard of the Reshabites. You ever hear of the Reshabites? The Lord singles them out. Of course, here in Jeremiah, the Israel, the northern kingdom's already gone. Judah is about to go. They're still being disobedient. He's got Jeremiah there on site trying to get him to turn around, and they're kind of making fun of him. They even put him in a pit. They don't want to hear God's word. So God brings out the Reshabites. Let's work our way through this in Jeremiah 35, the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, was king. Go to the house of the Reshabites and spring to them. Bring them into the house of the Lord. Give them wine to drink. Now, this had nothing to do with getting drunk, okay? I took Jeazaniah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habazaniah, and all this, his brothers and sisters, and the whole house of the Reshabites. Brought them in the house of the Lord. Uh which above the chamber I set before the men pitchers full of wine and cups, and I said to them, Drink wine. 
go ahead and, you know, drink wine. And that was the drink of the day. It really was. But they said, we will not drink wine. Well, why not? For Jonadab, the son of Reshab, our father, commanded us, saying, you shall not drink wine, you or your sons, forever. You shall not build a house, and you shall not sow seed, and you shall not plant a vineyard or own one. But in tents you shall dwell all your days, that you may live many days in the land where you sojourn. We have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Reshab, our father, and all that he commanded us. So they had an ancestor, and I don't know how many generations are here, that said, we're going to be a people who do not drink wine, and we do not live in houses, we live in tents, and we're going to be nomads. We do not plant vineyards. And all his people who were born of him, his progeny, were obeying his voice. They took, that's who we are. We're going to listen to our ancestor. We're not going to drink wine. We're going to live in tents. What a marvelous thing. They, they listen to this man who's, I'm sure he's dead already. But this is who they are. Now let's go to verse 12. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Go and say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will you not receive instruction by listening to my words, declares the Lord? The words of Jonadab, the son of Reshab, which he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are observed. So they do not drink wine to this day, for they have obeyed their father's command. But I have spoken to you again and again, yet you have not listened to me. He's holding them up as an example of someone who obeys their father. And he says, I'm your God, and you won't listen to me. Wow. What an example. People who obeyed, knew how to obey, and were willing to obey. They took it to heart. It was important to somebody when he said, we're, not going to pe- we're going to be a people who don't drink wine and we're going to live in tents. They took it to heart and they did it. So, what about us in listening to the word of God? Are we like the Rishabites? We study it out carefully. See exactly what he wants us to do as Christians to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Reaching out with the gospel. Staying away from evil. We listen to the voice of God. Like the Rishabites. Interesting. God knew all about them, didn't he? He knew all about them and used them as an example. All right, our last one from Acts 6. Let's consider Stephen. Chosen as one of the seven to serve tables there in chapter 6 of Acts. Therefore, brethren, you know, they had the problem with the widows and they weren't getting uh, their daily portion and so uh, the apostles there said, we don't have time to, to deal with this, which is right. 
You need to find someone who can deal with this so we can continue to uh, uh, prayer and, and the word of God and proclaim the word and so forth. So it says, Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. It's interesting, it notes that Stephen was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And I immediately asked myself, does that mean the others were not full of faith in the Holy Spirit? They obviously had to have faith because they were Christian, right? And they were filled with, this, they had the Holy Spirit because they were Christian, right? So evidently, in some way, Stephen displayed these characteristics in a greater way. A deeper faith, a stronger faith. He walked by faith all the time, led by the Spirit of God. And it's interesting also to note that Stephen was just not satisfied with waiting the tables. I'm sure he did that, and I'm sure he did a marvelous job at it. But in the next chapter, we find him proclaiming the gospel and getting in some conversation, if you will, with the synagogue of the freedmen, and they don't like what he's saying. And so they get, they get some uh, false witnesses, and they end up bringing him before the Sanhedrin or the council. And that's pretty much what chapter 7 is. His lengthy speech really start talking about the whole history of Israel and how God has dealt with Israel down to that very moment. So let's pick it up in verse 51. He says, You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears and always resisting the Holy Spirit, you are doing just as your fathers did. Wow. He's letting them have it. Why is he doing that? Because they need to hear it. They need to hear it. Their soul is at stake. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one. Of course, that's Christ Jesus. Whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the laws ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. Pretty straightforward, huh? Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick. It's interesting. That's kind of the same phraseology the Holy Spirit uses there, which he used when Peter talked about Christ Jesus on the day of Pentecost, isn't it? They were cut to the quick or cut to the heart. 3,000 of them repented. Here, nobody repents. They were cut to the quick and began gnashing their teeth at him and being full of the Holy Spirit. You know, they were just angry, gritting their teeth. What are we going to do with this guy? But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. 
And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opening up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears, rushed at him with one impulse. And the bottom line is they stoned him to death and he says, Lord, do not lay this sin to their charge. Very much like his own master from the cross. If you've been in the military, some of you have been, when there was a senior officer who walked into the room, you stood up and came to attention. Didn't you, Larry? Yes, you did. And you've all been at a wedding. What happens when the bride comes in? You all stand up. Somebody important, somebody significant enters the room, you stand up. Here we know that Jesus was standing up because of what was happening to Stephen because we read in the scriptures that when he went back to heaven, he, was, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. We read that, don't we? So he was standing up because of what was happening to Stephen. He was taking particular notice. Here's one of mine. He's just proclaimed the truth. He's about to lose his life. God stands up. He acknowledges. He appreciates. He knows what's going on. He brings the Lord to his feet. Don't ever doubt that God doesn't love you. He doesn't care about you every pain, every heartache, every trouble. And then he's not wanting you to do well. He sees all you're going through. And he appreciates when you do what's right. Even when it hurts. Even when it costs you something. Even when you have to sacrifice. God sees. And he appreciates it. We need the boldness of Stephen's faith to proclaim the gospel in any possible way we can. Stand in the face of evil and today's culture. It's just hither and yon and nobody wants to hear, nobody wants to listen. And we need the heart of Stephen to forgive those who hurt us, those who disagree with us, those who fight against us. Pray for our enemies enemies. So as we wrap up, the Lord delights in, respects, and takes special note of and honors those who are devoted to his service in exemplary fashion. There are examples for us, all these, and there's others. They're written for our instruction. And I pray that we can all take note of these whom we've seen this morning. Try to pattern our lives after them. I know we're supposed to be made in the image of Christ, but obviously these folks were pleasing to God, and I would say a little bit more than pleasing. He absolutely noticed what they were doing for him.
Stephen saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. He's there because he is the Christ. He took on flesh, conquered sin, death, the grave, overcame Satan and all his wiles and deceptions in power. And now he rules. He's over all the rulers of the earth. He rules in his kingdom. He's coming back. Are you one of his this morning? Are you one of his? The Lord is here. The Lord is looking down wherever you want to look at it to consider it. And he's wondering this morning if you're not a Christian. Is today the day that someone will make a choice for me and choose me over the world? Believe me, he sees and knows. Maybe you are a Christian. You've been struggling with things. Maybe you've not been living up to the name of Christ. You've just kind of been bouncing along and living life any old way. Something that you've read or seen here this morning, heard in all these people, Moses and Job and the Rishabites and Stephen, you know you need to do better. You want to do better. And I pray that you will. If you want us to pray with you this morning about that, we would be happy to do it. As always, I'm available, Mike's available, Mike's available. Serving the Lord is a joy. It's also a great responsibility. But we want you to know, as we read in Scripture, He sees, He knows, and He appreciates what you do for Him. And someday, He will reward. If you want to come this morning, please come while Brother Jim leads us.